I, I very rarely in the past years ever given a shear on Bereshit because it always comes out like during Beinah's money. But this year, I don't know, I, had, I was excessively enthusiastic. So we're going to do, uh, we're going to do something about Bereshit. Now Bereshit, the parashah of Bereshit, uh, could never be studied in a week. It's something that you can spend a lifetime, uh, practically a lifetime doing. But you remember the major topics, major topics of the book of Bereshit are the creation of the world, which is not such a big problem because, okay, I don't understand it, but why should I? You know, like, it doesn't bother me that I don't understand how God created the world because after all, that's the deal. God created the world and I didn't create the world. If I knew how to create the world, then I would be God. So I don't want to be God, so I don't know how to create the world. So I'm pretty happy about that. The main addition to the create, to the notion of the creation of the world, it does not appear explicitly stated in, uh, in is what is called uh, creation ex nihilo, out of nothing. Something out of nothing. Now it doesn't say that in the parashat Breshit, in any particular place that God created something out of nothing. But this has been a very appealing notion throughout the generations, right? And uh, and so in the Medrash, in the Medrash, the Medrash Shapirke the Rabbi Eliezer, it mentions creation yesh me'ayin which is the Hebrew way of saying ex nihilo. Right? You say ex nihilo because you want people to think you're well educated. But it means the same thing. Yes, may I. Something from nothing. In fact, the Ramban, who spoke about this extensively in his commentary, the Ramban uh, uh, is the one who understood the first pasuk in the parashah Bereshit, Bereshit bara lokim et ha-shavai the Ramban understood that pasuk as containing the totality of the creation. Because he said that what that pasuk is about, God created the heavens and the earth, that what that pasuk is really about, what that pasuk is really about is creation ex nihilo. And the way he understood it, either understood it was God created something out of nothing. Right? And that something out of nothing had a name. Uh, uh, the name was a Greek word, Iuli. Iuli. Right? If you know Greek, it's like a, a U and a L and an A. Right? So that's a Greek word. And the Ramban spelled it hey yud vav lamed yud hiyuli and breshit bara lokim et hashamayim et haaretz God created the heavens and the earth means that God created the stuff out of which everything else was created but everything else was a creation of yesh miyesh something from something it was God took the hiyuli and turned it into Trees and stones and earth and water and whatever, right? Disregarding the particularistic problems in this. So the first thing that the parashah Breshit 
uh, teaches us is about the creation of the world. And as I said, the creation of the world is, is a mystery. I mean, except for this addition of yesh me'ayin, this idea of yesh me'ayin, which appears already in late Medrashim, in the Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer, and is expounded upon by the Ramban in his commentary at the beginning of Breshit, that God created something out of nothing, and then all of the other cre- things were created, day one, day two, etc., are something from something. And the something that was created, ex nihilo, the Ramban calls hiyuli. That's what he calls it. Right? And it's like a, a Greek notion. That, I mean, usually, it's just like, just a word. It doesn't mean much, but it, it's used by the Ramban again and again. So that's one topic. The rest of the parasha, that, that topic is covered in Berak Aleph and Berak Bet. Well, you know you have two kinds of creation stories. One is kind of very mechanical. There's day one and there's day two and there's day three. But in the second uh, uh, creation story, in the second creation which is in Berak Bet, uh, the focus is much more on, uh, the focus is on the human creation of of the person, Adam Arishon and Chava, and the connection between Adam and Chava, which seems to be an ongoing theme, like an ongoing theme in the book of Breshit. You know that the that the Ramban is the one who also said that the book of Breshit is the entree. It's all about creation. It's all like things are being created all the time. And those was like we could say that things change all the time, things are developed all the time. But at some point, you get you get the stage is set for history, and the stage is set when the Jews go down to Mitzrayim. That's when the when the stage is set according to according to the Ramban. Then we know who who's who, who the people are, what they're supposed to be doing, etc. So the second thing that is discussed in the parasha of Breshit is the relationship through creation, the relationship between men and women. Right? It's a, uh, it's a distinguishing factor. It's not, it is true that some animals have relationships apparently, but man has consistently, man slash woman has consistently opted for real ongoing relationships. Right? That's their that's the way they think they should live and even though uh, that doesn't it, it, it's not that idea remains even if you break up relationships so it doesn't matter it doesn't matter the idea that uh, having a relationship is a natural and normal thing and not just something that is effective in paying taxes or something that that, that idea is embedded in the parasha of Breshit and continued through the book of Breshit, where this remarkable idea that children have fathers and mothers is stressed. Right? That, that apparently, I mean, I think that this idea is, is a chidush in the, in the Torah that is very, uh, that took, that, that was not so apparent in the world and that um, as an aside, as an uh, almost an irrelevant aside, I mean, I think that the women and women uh, in the Torah con- conception of these always had parity with men. 
always exactly the same because the women, it was always understood that children had mothers. Not just biological, they were not just the result of a biological event. But you understand that Hagar could not be the mother of Yitzchak. Right? Sarah had to do it. And you can see from the story, when you think of the story, where Sarah tried this way and that way to avoid it, but it didn't work out. It couldn't work out. You could not get Yitzchak. I mean, he was not like a paramecium, Avraham, that is, who could smash himself against the wall and make two of them. He needed, in order to get Yitzchak out of Avraham, there had to be a mother. Now, this is a remarkable idea, which I think is not true in a lot of societies. Whereas the, the, the mother just is an accidental event. Uh, so, so it, it, the Torah stresses very much again and again that there's a mother. And that without a mother, you can't really have a child. I don't mean biologically. I mean in terms of like the, there's a total, total idea of passing something down from the generation to the next generation. That somehow, you have to have a mother. You have to have a mother. And while, uh, and I think uh, uh, the the sexual um, distinctions were learned over time from other societies. It was like you know, if if in Judaism somehow there is, uh, you know, there was separation of the sexes in certain kinds of areas or, 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 or things, it's because that's how the the other people did it. And the other people did not really have a very high opinion of motherhood. And uh, and so that affected us, retro. But in the Torah, I think it's quite clear. I think it's quite clear. So that in Perik Bet of Breshit, Perik Bet of Breshit, you have this idea that creation of man and creation of woman is like a kind of a joint activity. However, However the Torah says it, with a rib, with with who are you and who are you and what's your name? And like, and like you know, you could look into it. You could look into it and, and try to understand with greater um, acuity what the um, what the idea is, what the relationship is, how that. But there's no doubt that such a thing is part of the creation, according to the story of Perik Bet, Perik Gimel, Perik Gimel in uh, in. Uh, Perik Gimel and then Perik Dalit in Breshit uh, tell us the story of the indiscretions of the created man slash woman couple, right? First, Adam and Chava who contradicted uh, unbelievingly I mean, it's, um, to us it's unbelievable contradicted a direct order from God and ate from the Eitz Hadad Right, that's one story, and that uh, they were never forgiven for that. There was no forgiveness for that. It's true they were not destroyed, but they were also not forgiven. They were kicked out of Canada and had to uh, establish the life that we know, where you have to work, you have to you know plow the the earth, get the tomato if you could afford it. And eat it, right? That's uh, uh, that's the world we live in. 
Well, we, what's the world we live in? Even if there are people who don't do that, so other people do it for them. I mean, it doesn't matter, but humanity, uh, humanity will not make it in a kolel. You know, kolel are great, it's like a terrific idea, but somebody has to pay. Right? So as long as there's someone who's going to pay, that, you know, I can't see anything wrong with it, but, but you have to understand that the nature of things in the world demands that somebody works and that somebody is is uh, putting bread on the table. And so that's the world in which we live. Now that's not the world that God created, so to speak. You could say that that's not the world that God created. The world that God created is the world of Ganeden. Ganeden, they walked around, they plucked the loaf of bread off of a tree or an apple, as it may have been. But I'm just saying it was, it was uh, they didn't have to do anything because... In, in the, the notion was somehow that creation should be perfect. If it comes from perfect, it should produce perfect. And producing perfect means that you wouldn't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything in particular in order to live in the created world. But because of what man slash woman, do I have to keep saying that? Did I just say man? Is that all right? Because of what man, it's, it's a new neuter, isn't it? Man also? Oh, people. I don't want to say people, I want to say men. <laughs> okay, but you get the idea. I'm trying not to, you know, I was brought up in Brooklyn a long time ago. That's how we talked. But I'm sure that uh, people don't talk that way anymore. But it's hot that the old habits die on this. They still talk that way in Brooklyn. But anyway, uh, so if God created a perfect world, so it makes sense that the world that God created was called Gan Eden. And that people walked around in Gan Eden, and there were no no transgressions in Gan Eden. You know, everything was perfect. So if everything's perfect, I mean, there's no reason to work. You know, perfect means everything lives on the creation. The creation is is perfect. But Adam and Chava did what Adam and Chava did, and they were introduced into another world. Not the world of primary creation, but I guess the world of secondary creation. The world of secondary creation... Adam and Chava had to fight to, to, to maintain, to exist. So that the punishment for Adam and Chava and their indiscretion was not, uh, not being, uh, killed or, uh, or, uh, stoned or, but their punishment was that they did not, they would they gave up on the perfect world. They gave up on, on AIDS, uh, they gave up on, on Gan Eden. And they had to live in something less than Ghanaian, something different than Ghanaian. If you ask why did the Torah tell us this story, why couldn't the Torah just start out with, with Adam and Chavo living in, uh, in uh, Tinek, you know, or something? Why they have to, what? Uh, Brooklyn. Why couldn't, the, why couldn't the Torah just say, here all the, Jew, all the people in the world are living in Brooklyn, but I have to know about Ghanaian. So that the way that the, the Jewish tradition understands that is that there is a teleology in uh, in history. Like history's going someplace. We're go- we're going someplace. So whatever you call that going someplace, you call it Yimot Hamashiach, or you, you call it Tchiat uh, Hametim, or you call you know, all these kinds of things come together to a kind of a Gan Eden. It was the Gan Eden story becomes 
not the story of our existence, but the story of what it will be, and what it could be, and what it should have been, and what it will be again. And that's why the Ramban says that at the end of the, uh, the book of Tvarim, the Ramban says that the story of Ganeda is where we're going, right? There is this idea that, that there's a promise. There's a promise that we'll all be brought back to Eretz Yisrael and we'll all do tshuva and we'll all be besedah. We'll all have understanding, we'll all have clarity, we'll have all, all of these prophetic kinds of, of uh, statements all lead me back to Gan Eden. Right? So that the story in Perik Gimel is a story of Gan Eden, indiscretion, getting kicked out of Gan Eden, living in a new world, which is partially created by man. Right, a new world, because that new world had man not sinned, then that new world would not, that new world would not have, a, have existed. And, uh, and of course, this leads you to the side, these theological questions that people like to think about. So how did it happen? How could man, man sin? And how could uh, a creation of God take a stand against God? Right, you know, all of these kinds of all these kinds of questions, which of course are very interesting and have interested everybody. And I think I really, um, uh, modernity, my feeling is, you know, having taught students for many years, the people are not interested in those kinds of questions. They're more interested in like, what does it do for me? You know, like, what should I do? But, uh, but they are interesting questions. And they are further, they are further enhanced by the story of kind of heaven. Because here we have, we have this uh, a problem on many levels. Like kind of a Hevel were the children of Adam and Chava. Now if Adam and Chava can't have children, then what's the point? So if Cain goes and kills Hevel, that leaves zero. Because the good guy, he's dead. And the bad guy, he's alive. Now, what are you going to do with the bad guy? I mean, what kind of world? What kind of world do you imagine? Here he is. Here's Cain. You know, Cain, not only did Cain kill, kill Hebel, but Cain said, but Cain said to God, Hashomer achi anochi. I mean, it's not something that most kids would say to their parents. You know, and here's Cain. Cain, he's... He's the future of the universe. That's all there is. All there is is Cain. Now Cain's punishment, and now we look at the sheet that we get. So you have these two, these two fulcrums, right? You know, like Adam and Chava getting kicked out of Gan Eden and producing us. It's like we have to work and we have to try, strive and we have to try to uh, overcome. And then Cain. What happened to Cain? I mean, how did the whole world be the world of Cain? So in the, in the Torah, there is this, uh, you know, Cain has children, he has grandchildren, he has more grandchildren. So look again at the sheet for Sufdet Zion. But it's a Cain of Nehashem. But it's a Cain of Nehashem could mean Cain denied God. He wasn't interested in God. He wasn't interested in doing what he should do. By Yeshev the Eretz Not Kidmat Eden. Eden is the name of the place. Kidmat Eden is Mizrach, the east to the east of of Eden, right? East. What's you know, Kidmat Eden, away from Gan Eden. 
וידע קין את אשתו ותאו ותלד את חנוך ויהי בונה עיר ויקרא שם העיר כשם בנו חנוך. So the first thing Cain had a son whose name was Chanoch. Chanoch built a city. Built a city, I mean, cities are, they protect you. They protect you, but they also take you out of the environment that God created. Right? You, 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 you I mean, I think people have written stories, books about, about it. You know, like, what's the difference between living in, in God's world or living in a, a city which is not God's world. Well, yeah, I find God's world in the city, but in any event, the first thing that, that... It doesn't say in the Torah whether this was a good thing or a bad thing, but the first thing that he did was he built a city. Built a city, protected himself. You know, people, people who came out into the world that God created and had to work, well, they had to move around. They had to go from one place to another place. They, the land could not uh, provide them endlessly with the support that they needed, so there had to be Bedouins of one kind or another. Uh, a city is a statement against that. I mean, it's against what's natural, what's nature, what, what is the world that God created. So when you build a city, so you have to go to war, because you have to capture stuff. From the, from the people who don't have cities, who are not that, who are more industrious. Uh, it just, it just, that's the only way, that's the only way to live. That's the only way to live. So, so I think that, that, uh, that besides the, the ego at play here, it's like, you know, people put plaques on buildings. You may have noticed. People put plaques on buildings. I guess they think that, that that plaque will give them life forever or something, or at least as long as the stones of the building will exist. I mean, it's a... Passive, passive values to their children who see that they help develop the yeshivas. I see you at fundraiser. I am. You're good, you're good try, you're good try. But I, I don't see it that way. I, I see that that a uh, person spent his life making money, which is not a bad thing, and then suddenly realizes that he'd like to have a piece of something else, you know. So how's, how's he going to do it? He's not going to sit in yeshiva and learn. So he pays. That's good, I guess. Again, Pasuk Yudzayin, Ve'ida kayin et ishto v'tar v'telet et chanoch, v'hi bonet ir ve'ikra sheim ha'ir k'sheim v'noch. You see that his wife is non-existent. Right? She doesn't exist. This wife. V'yoleh v'chanoch et irad, v'irad yaladet v'chuyael, v'chuyael yaladet v'chuyael, v'chuyael yaladet lamech. Okay. Again, there are no wives here. They're only generations. I, I, I don't mind that so much. <laughs> but that's how they counted generations. Fine. Uh, now, we're up to Lamech. Right? Mm-hmm. Took a few generations, we got to him. He had two wives. I mean, of course you understand that he may, he may have had 20 wives or 50 wives, but two wives of great importance. Shema Chatada, Shema Shenit Sila. Now that's really a departure, a departure literarily. Like, like what's going on here? Who who needs the names of the wives, Ada and Sila? Why do we have to know that? 
Vatelet Ada Et Yaval Hu Aya Avi Yosheb Ohel Umikne. So Ada had a had a child who was a Yosheb Ohel Umikne. Ohel Umikne means he is um, he is dealing with his with his lot. Well, what's his lot? He's out in the middle of nowhere. He's got to build. He's got to farm. He's got to grow. He's got to live. He's got to live. So uh, he has a child. And the child, uh, his name is Yaval. And he's Avi Yoshev Oelumukne. So this is Kayin. This is Kayin, right? The Zens of Kayin. Uh, doing a kind of Tshuva. Leading the way to have existence in the world. In, 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 in other words, let's go back. What was, why did Cain kill Hevel? Why did Cain kill Hevel? Because God seemed to appreciate the Hevel gift more than the Cain gift. And this is something that, that deserves its own conversation. I mean, after all, both of them brought gifts. Both of them brought korbanot. Both of them built mizbechot. Both of them were involved, but Kayin somehow was not. And it's very difficult in the Farshim, Chazal. It's not clear why Hevel was preferred. Why Hevel was preferred. But they were, both, they were both dealing with the reality. Hevel better than Kayin. Hevel better than Kayin. But eventually, eventually Kayin, not he himself, but his descendants, the descendants of, of Cain, reaffirmed their relationship to the world in which God had placed them, and that was done. That was done uh, by Yevav, Yavi Oshev Oelumikne, Oelumikne. You had to move from place to place. It's not like Hanoch. You move from place to place. You don't expect to destroy somebody else to get what they have. It's Hanukh, right? To get from Kayin, to get from Kayin to Yaval, well, that takes time. That's that's an effort. Kayin murdered to get what he wanted. He said, Kayin said, if I'm the only one, then I will be appreciated. Yes? Kayin? He said, if I'm the only one who's doing what I'm doing, and then I will be appreciated. And as a result, he killed Hevel. Uh, it took a long time. He had a son named Hanoch. And in the way I understand it, Hanoch continued this idea that you, you, if you want it, you take it. That's why he built a city. He built a city, you can't move out of the city. If you need something, you have to go and get it. You have to go to war. You have to take it away from the, the other people. So Hanoch represents that side of it. It, it, it was not that Hanoch necessarily killed anybody, but he represents the killing side of, of Kayin. Until you get to right, a generation, we don't know what happened to all these generations, but generation after generation we get to Yaval. And what is Yaval? Avi Yoshev Oel Miknek. Oel as opposed to city, right? A tent. What do you do? What do tent dwellers do? They move from place to place. They're not lazy. They don't say, well, we don't have any food. We're going to steal it. They say, we don't have any food here. We're going to move our flocks to a more appropriate place. 
and we'll move our tents, or our tents as opposed to cities, uh, uh, to that place as well. That's Kayin's. I wouldn't say tshuva, but there's an adjustment here. Kayin becomes a person who can live in the world. B'shem achiv yuvav. Hu ayavi kol tofes kinov v'ugav. It's very interesting. Tofes kinov v'ugav. Mazat tofes kinov v'ugav. Music. He was tofes kol kinov v'ugav. What is music? Okay, it's a little bit of a stretch, but I was learning. I have to say, I was learning a Torah of Rav Nachman today. So, Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman, I think, and it's... You know, sometimes I, it's hard to know what what uh, what I'm going to tell you is what Rav Nachman said or what I said he said, which is you know you have to watch out for that <laughs> because you know you can't believe everything you hear. But maybe it's okay anyway. Uh, how do you compare music to prose? I don't mean prose; it could be poet poetry. How do you create? You know, how do you? Compare. So one way of comparing music to, to prose is that prose has pshat. There's a pshat. Pshat means you read something and you explain it. If it's correct, eventually everybody will understand that it's correct, right? And if you've got the wrong pshat, so you're going to have to back down. You're going to have to say, no, it's not what I thought, it's this, I'm going to change my mind. That's called pshat. Pshat is something everybody could agree about. That's always there. Well, what's there about music? As if you go to a, a concert and listen to, you know, some music. And there are people there don't know a thing about music. People, the other people, they have to listen to music all their lives. And they're very good at it. But everybody can come out of that room and say, I liked it. I liked it. You, can, you can't argue with that. You can't say he's got the wrong shot. You can't say he's got the wrong shot if a, if a person hears a concert and likes it. The music, music, there's no pshat. There's no pshat in music. There's no correct. It's not correct to say, I, you know, this is really good music. I mean, it's true that there's a more in, kind of learned approach to things. But if you don't know how to read, or if you've never read a book, I mean, you can't exactly give him crime and punishment and say, look it over and see how it is. It's not going to get it. Like the music you get, you get music because there's no pshat, there's no pshat in music. It is what you hear. It is what you hear. So to face, uh, to face. I think that what, based on this Rav Nachman, to face ugav is a way of a way of davening. This is what Rav Nachman think try to. What do you mean davening? What, well, you know what bothers you about davening? What bothers me about davening? Well, the words. The, the words uh, are, are, are what kills you. Because you, you can't really know what they mean. can't really know what they mean, which is different, according to Rav Nachman, to emunah. Emunah, faith, is something that you do understand. You don't need the words. You don't need words in order to explain uh, in order to explain faith. Words just just limit you. They detract. I mean, okay, if you're a great Talmud Chocham, if you know all kinds of material, you can kind of make the words into something a little bit more appealing. But for most people, the words are a tremendous annoyance. And you have to overcome the words. One way of overcoming the words, according to Rav Nachman, is 
music. Not that he thought that you could play music in shul. I, I didn't mean that. I don't mean that. What I mean is there are languages which do not, uh, which are not the language of words, which make it easier to communicate to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. So it could be that this Tofeski Norve Ugav, that this uh, this music. It, it was a stage. It, it was every time. Every time something happens in the world, every time there's some kind of development, you have to be able to relate it to your connected to your relationship with God, and that's what the Tofes Kinova Ugav did. Okay, I, I won't go into that anymore. If it works, it works. Pasukav bet v'tzila damhi avda et tuval kayin. Okay, this is perhaps an advance. Nechoshet is copper and, and, and iron, and they learned how to use it, how to formulate it. That was even better than being uh, than being a tent dweller and a, and a shepherd. Okay, and then you have the most amazing phrase: "Vachot tuval kain naama," and that's what I want to talk about. Achot to Valkayin Nama. Because we know about women. We know about women who have children. We know about women who are wives. We don't know about a woman who just hangs in the air. It hangs in the air, but what do you mean Achot to Valkayin Nama? There are no sisters in this, in this story. There are no women who are not wives or mothers. There's no such thing. What is that called to Valkyrie now? I might want to talk about that. I, I mean, even though my oldest daughter is named Naama, but not because of that. That's not the reason. That's not the reason. Because the reason, you'll see in a minute. Rashi says, see Naama? Rashi says, he shall Noach. Now, what, what do you think Rashi means? No, I mean, I mean in, in other words, there are two stages. It gets to Chazal. Chazal, there's a Medrash, a Medrash Rabbah, says that Naama was Noah's wife. Now, why does Rashi tell it to us? Why does Rashi think that if I pass over this Pasuk and don't know that uh, Naama in the Chazal is, is the wife of Noah, I've been missing out on something. So you could say, you could say something simple. Uh, Rashi wants to show you that this is important. It's not just uh, a piece of information, but it's something very important. It's like, okay, great, is that it? I'm not sure. Now look at, at the Ramban. You see the Ramban? Mm-hmm. The Ramban says, Achotu al-kayin na'amakomer ke'omer v'nolda lo lachotu shma na'amak. In other words, this is though he says, Tuval kayin was alive before na'amak was born. Achotu al-kayin na'amak. Means that Naama was not an older sister of uh, Tuvalkai, but a younger sister of Tuvalkai. And therefore you could call her, you could call her Achot Tuvalkai. She was the sister. When she was born, she was Tuvalkai's sister, which would not have been the case if she was born before Tuvalkai. I mean, at the end, of course, she's his sister. But you wouldn't have said that in the Pasuk. And then he goes on and brings several examples. Now, if you look at the end of the next line, one of these examples I don't understand, so I'm skipping it over. I'm skipping it because I don't want to get stuck here. Reshid Rabbah. You see the third line, the last two or three words, the wide line in the Rabban? Reshid Rabbah. Yeshomim, 
אשתו של נוח הייתה. אז דרמב"ן, דרמב"ן is saying that, well, you know, this is like a historical question. And since there are different opinions in Chazal, there are different opinions, I can't tell you who's right. I know who's right. Yesh Omrit. There are those who say that she was Noah's wife. V'lama ha'yu korim v'tanama. He adds on. He adds on from Chazal. Why was Noah's wife called Naama? Why was Noah's wife called Naama? Or why did Noah marry a lady called Naama? Right, you can say it that way. All the things she did were very pleasant and very, uh, very you know, special in that pleasant kind of way. This is what the Chazal mean when they say naim. Well, what, what exactly were they talking about? In those generations, she had a good name. She was righteous. She was a righteous woman. Only that Tzadikim had righteous children. And therefore, the Pasuk mentions her. Because she was special. She wasn't like everybody else. She was a righteous woman. Right? The came. listen to this, the Rabban says. Imkeim. If so, Nishala Kaim Zecher Ma'at Ba'olam. There is something left over of Kayin in the world. Now, what does he mean? What does the Ramban mean? Ramban means that Kayin almost destroyed the world. Kayin, by what he did, by killing Hevel, he almost destroyed the world. And we saw that he had a son named Hanoch, and Hanoch built a city, and cities were not. And, and, and none of these people that are mentioned, the children of Adah, the children of Silo, none of them are granted with any kind of special righteousness, except for Naamah. Except for Naamah. Now the parasha after the parasha of Bereshit is called Noah. And the parasha of Noah is about, you could say Noah, but don't say that. What is the parasha of Noah about? The parasha of Noah is about the second creation of the world. The second creation of the world. How did the world come to an end? How did the world in the time of Noah come to an end? Mabul. What's a mabul? A mabul is a flood. What's a flood? second pasuk of the Torah. Ba'aretz ha'ita tov v'avo. Ba'aretz ha'ita tov v'avo. In other words, before creation, what is the world before creation? The world is undifferentiated. And what word, what word in the Torah represents the process of differentiation? Vayavdel. Vayavdel, let me say. Vayavdel. That's the differentiation which is creation. Here's earth, here's water. Here is green, here is blue. That's what, here is sky, here is earth. 
differentiation which took place in a world that was entirely water. That's all it was, undifferentiated. Undifferentiated. What was the punishment of the generation of Noah to return to the undifferentiated world? To return to the undifferentiated We call that Mabul. We call that Mabul. What, where was the Mabul? On the, on the entire land. There was nothing. Nothing in the world. Right? So the world started up again. The world started up again. And who was Adam Arishon second time around? Noah. Noah. We called him Noah. Right? Who was... And he gave birth to the world. The world came from Noah, his three sons, everything, he, he, he was the one who, who did it. Just as Adam Arishon, the first directive, I wouldn't call it a mitzvah, but the first directive that, most, that Adam Arishon received was, Pruvu. That was the first directive that, that Adam Arishon received. What was the first directive that Noah received? Pruvu. Right? It's exactly the same. So you see that Noah was... The, both the, the one who began the new world and who connected the new world to the old world. It's as though, it wasn't as though, even though the world didn't deserve to exist anymore, but HaKadosh Baruch did not deny the original creation entirely because the connecting, what connected the original tra- uh, creation of Adam and Chava and, he- and Cain and Hevel, that original connection was con- was connected, the original creation was connected to the new creation through Adam and he needs a wife. He needs a wife because you can't have anything good unless you have a husband and a wife. And so the wife that took the place of Chava after Noah had taken the place of Adam Arishon, her name, her name was Naama. So that the reason that the Torah puts Naama into this parasha is because she's the most important person in the world. She's not just a, 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 a tzaddik. And if you look at the Ramban again, the words in the Ramban are, right? It Omar, the third. Uh, the third line, be the third line. Jayala Shema Dorotahem Kiyai Tatsadeket Beholida Tzadikim. That's her, right? The Lachain Yaskirena Hakadu. That's why the Pasuk mentions her. Then Cain, listen to these words in the Ramban. And Cain is Alakayan Zechem Ma'at Ba'olam. So that Cain, who represented the continuation, the, the unfortunate continuation, of Adam Arishon and Chava, right? They had only one son at that time. Then they'll have another son. But they had at that time one son. And that one son is represented in the new world of Noah by Naamah. She is their child. She's the child of Cain, into a manner of speaking. And that's what he says. He says, In Cain, Mishal Cain, Zecher, Ma'at ba'olam. So that Kayin is somehow remembered in the new world, the world after the Mabul, as being, as being the father of Na'ama. Right? He has that, he has that uh, memory. So you have this idea of fathers and sons again, just like the Chazal said, Chazal said uh, that uh, Terach, remember Terach? 
I'm getting ahead of myself. Terach did tshuva and went to Gan Eden. Right? The Chazal say, and the Ramban says, the Ramban there in the end of North, he says, well, what do you mean? He went to Gan Eden. He did everything wrong. He was a bad guy. He said, who says he's, uh, he's up in heaven with... He said, he said, uh, said there's a principle. Just like the parents have to save their children, the children sometimes can save their parents. So that Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu, even though the Maharal talks about it in a different way, but Avram Avinu could not have been Avram Avinu if there was nothing good in Terah, so to speak. And you can't come from, from you know, pitch black and turn out to be lily white. There's got to be something there. So that's what Chazal meant, according to the Rambam. That Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu saved his father. Doesn't mean that it was a deal with heaven. It was rather that Avram Avinu, because of who he was, his father somehow gets a little bit of credit. A little bit of credit for that as well. So Kayin is redeemed, not redeemed, but there's a bit of redemption of Kayin through Naamah, and that connects the world of Adam Arishon, Chava, Kayin, Hevel, and connects it to, to, uh, to the world of Noah, which is the world of the new creation, right? Not Yeshme, not Ex Nihilo, not Yeshme Ayin, but the new creation, the new creation of separation, of dividing. But there it happened, the water subsided, and the separation became uh, uh, the natural, the natural event. It was the separation was just there. That's what, and uh, that's what that's what the Ramban says. Then the Ramban goes on. Sorry, just please hold on. I'm well, 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 sorry, I'm reading off there. Why kind? Like, why doesn't the Rambam say, according to what you said, she's the continuation of Adam Mahala, or the continuation of Hebel, but why kind? What's he done to deserve this good woman? Is there anyone left? No, but the people who need... No, otherwise it would be a failure. I mean, creation would have failed. It's like saying that the creation couldn't fail entirely. Well, then it would make sense to say she's the continuation of Adam Mahala. And that they get some kind of remembrance in the world. Right. They're one son who died, one who turned out to be rotten. But at least yeah, they but, have uh, Okay, you may yeah. be right. I, mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. But in this, in these psukim, yeah, but in these psukim, which start with the words, these psukim start with Vayetze Kain Hashem. It's a story of Kain. So that's why the Ramban says it. Uh, do you, if you want like a, a theological uh, explanation of why Kayin is, is more significant than Adam and, and Chavah because uh, Kayin created a uh, personality disorder that we all suffer from stay, stay to what? Yeshav-Rim. wait till Yeshav-Rim. Uh, okay wait <laughs> hey, hang in there hang in there wait so it says, "In Cain, Shalakayim Zecher, but Im Nomar Sheina Ishajo Lid Nort Mimenish Loshid Banim. In Cain, Im Basetam Laskira. That's the Ramban. The Ramban understands understands Chazal that way. That that the reason that they took the trouble to explain all of this is because uh, uh, the, the otherwise the pasuk is uh, what do you call that? Uh, superfluous. 
Yeah, no, I don't mean that. Like when you have a hanging, a dangling thing at the end of a sentence. Hanging corset. What? Well, then they put a red line through it. What, what is that called? Non sequitur. Uh, no, not a non sequitur. What? Okay, I used to know these things. All right, it doesn't matter. For medrash achel rabotenu. Now listen to this. Medrash achel rabotenu. So there's another opinion. There's another opinion in the in the words of rabotenu, and that is shehi ishayefa ima ol shemimena ta'u b'nei aluhim vehi aner mezet bepasuk. So you see that pasuk, if you look down at Perik Vav. This is a difficult pasuk. Usually it's explained as being uh, uh, high class people, uh, people of power and strength. Nothing to do with God. In other words, there's a negative side. There's another opinion in Chazal that, that places her in a negative position. And then, the third position, if you see, Acherim Amru, he quotes the Zohar, quotes the Zohar, Ki hi hayta eshet shemadon em ashmedai. Yeah, you ashmedai? Remember, I was a kid... They had these books, these little colored, you know, books of colors, and they had the story of Ashmedai with frightful-looking monsters. If it didn't make everybody non-religious, I don't know what could, what else could that. <laughs> anyway, Eim Ashmedai, Ashmedai, he says, "Mimena noldu hashedim." Shedim are bad, bad. It's no good, right? Shades. But, uh, you know what I mean to do with them. So. She was the progenitor of the Shadim. Because in these books that they use, the Ama appears, you know, like they have these. And therefore, in spite of the fact that she had an importance, she was very important, but negatively, a negative importance, that's another reason that the Torah, that the Torah did not, uh, did not, uh, Express at length. So you see, according to the Ramban, according to the Ramban, Naama could be the best of people and could be the worst of people, and and he, his point is that there has to be a reason. There has to be a reason for the uh, for the inclusion of Naama in this list, even though she's not stated as somebody's wife or somebody's uh, somebody's mother. And there's no doubt that the Ramban, I would say, that the Ramban. Uh, feels that the first interpretation is the leading interpretation, the one that we should that we should incline ourselves towards. That she was the she was the wife of Noah and connects creation number one with creation number two. The one more thing I would like to add: if you look at the pasuk here on the on the page, it says Rechavan ben Shlomo Malak Yehuda. Shlomo Amelch built the Beit HaMikdash and he was succeeded by his son whose name was Rechavam. At the same time, as you remember, the, the nation split. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was mostly Yehuda 
And at the bottom of Yehuda, if you look at those maps that you had in school, someplace, Shimon. And then the northern kingdom, the northern kingdom was from Yerushalayim and north, right? Binyamin and all the other tribes, including the ones on the eastern side of the, of the Jordan. So in his time, when he became king, this, the nation split. And the northern kingdom also had a king. Had a had a king that was um, that was uh, Yeravam and Nevat, right? Yeravam and Nevat turned out to be the worst of people, even worse than Rechavam, who was also the worst of people, right? The they came to Rechavam with the reason in the in the Tanakh for the split, or you know, could be understood in a wider context. They came to to Rechavim and they said that we can't pay the taxes that your father made us pay in order to build the Beit HaMikdash. So he, in a like a brilliant uh, response, said, if you, you think your father, my father taxed you, I'm really going to tax you. So then the, the nation split. But of course, the split was somehow, it split the way it split for some reason. Right? There was also political, uh, other political uh, things which enabled this split, enabled this split to take place. But what am I, well, why do I read this pasuk? Because it, it said he was 41 when he became king, and he was king for 17 years, right? Right? Now you know that Shlomo Melech had a lot of wives. His he had a wife who was Ammonit. Ammon. She came from the people of Ammon who lived in the on the eastern side of the Jordan, below Jericho, below Yericho. And Naamah uh, Ammonit. Uh, I mean, she was a bad person because she produced a bad son. And the bad son, unfortunately, became king. So that you have these two na'ama, two times na'ama in the Tanakh. In the Tanakh. One is uh, our na'ama, right? Our na'ama, Perik Dalit, and the other is the na'ama, who was the mother of, uh, of Rechavam. And, and uh, it's not too hard to imagine that the good and the bad, right? The good and the bad, where Naaman Amonit is clearly a negative kind of uh, personality, and, and our Naaman becomes a kind of a problematic personality. It's not so hard to understand. The Chazal ran the full, full, uh, the, the full gauntlet of saying that either we don't know who she is because she was too great, she was too righteous, and the righteous people tend to hide themselves, and not expose their righteousness. And the other possibility is that she was a very bad person and led to bad things. And we know that the Torah doesn't like to be explicit about about things like that. But uh, again, I go back to the first interpretation of the Ramban, not the second or the third. The first interpretation of the Ramban connects Naamah to the creation of the parasha of Noah, which gives us a bridge to next week, to next week's parasha. And uh, and uh, connects us connects us to the idea that creation had ended, but there was like a something connecting creation one to creation two, and that was Naama 
Noah, his sons, all of whom were born before the flood actually took place. Have a good childhood.